So welcome, welcome once again to our community, Flagstaff Insight Meditation Community. And just as a way of beginning, I, I want to acknowledge community. It feels like I've been speaking with a number of community members supporting Flagstaff Insight Meditation Community. And I'm just so touched by that spirit of all of us carrying something forward together, uh, however that is. Uh, so just acknowledging community as we begin here together. And this evening, what I'd like to do is I'd like to share with you some reflections on really a, kind of a classical teaching that you find of the Buddha, at least of the Buddha of early Buddhism, around what's called the five daily reflections. And I thought, if they're supposed to be reflected upon daily, <laughs> And I've been remiss about sharing them for quite a while here. And what I'm going to try to do, if I can pull it off, is I'm going to screen share so you can see what these five daily reflections are. Let me see if I can bring this up here so you can see them here. Okay, can you give me a thumbs up if you can see my screen? Can you see my screen here? Can you see the screen share? Great, thanks for that. So here they are. I am of the nature to grow old i have not gone beyond old age i'm of the nature to become ill i have not gone beyond sickness i'm of the nature to die i have not gone beyond death all that is dear and delightful to me will change and vanish i am the owner of my actions heir to my actions, born of my actions, related to my actions, and abide supported by my actions. Whatever action I do, whether skillful or unskillful, of that I will become heir. The five daily reflections. And maybe some of you are thinking, oh my God, what am I doing thinking coming here on a Monday night? This seems like such a drag, <laughs> like one piece of bad news after another. Um, hopefully we can change that around around the daily reflections, <laughs> but it can feel like that on first, first glance, right? It's not uh, filled with uh, uh, delight and joy, at least at, at first glance. But let's see what we can do with them. I think what I've found for me is they've been so personally powerful, actually quite, quite transformative to take some time repetitively to reflect on these daily reflections. And true, we don't know what the future holds for us, yet these, some, right, are completely certain and the others are very close to certain, which is an interesting list given how much, how little we know of the future. In some ways, we can be uh, uh, counting on these in terms of the future. Let's just go through them. Like, I'm of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond death. Yep, certain. <laughs> okay, maybe not the time of it is certain, but it's certain. And uh, just to slow down with that one. Oh, I'm gonna die. Oh, this is this is 
the nature of my experience, knowing this fact. And the Polish poet Czesław Miłosz puts it so well. I think he captures something when he's describing this. He says, the partition separating life from death is so tenuous. The unbelievable fragility of our organism suggests a vision on a screen. A kind of mist condenses itself into a human shape, lasts a moment, and scatters. This is our situation. And what would it be like to live from the embodied understanding and knowing of that on a daily basis? Oh, I'm going to die. There's a fragility in what I'm involved in. It condenses like mist, and then it's going to scatter. And if we don't die too soon, sickness. I mean, who here, is there anyone here who has not experienced sickness, either physical sickness or mental sickness at some point? And growing old, if death doesn't come too soon, there it is. And then also, have you noticed all that's dear and delightful, if you live long enough, all that's dear and delightful to me, it changes, it vanishes. Again, what would it be like to live from the embodied knowing and understanding of that? Not just the thought, but breathing it, living it in some manner. Why is this important? Because this is our human situation. And what I found, what I found for me, repetitively reflecting on this, it's like, oh, here's this process of beginning to come to terms with this in order to touch a deeper way of being, to touch a deeper freedom. And, and I want to point out, it's possible to live your life and not to come to terms with these conditions, like the condition that we're going to die. You know, I know someone whose partner died a few years ago, and it was from cancer. And so the, the, the guy who died knew he was, he was dying. It was super clear. And at the same time, he refused to talk about the fact he was going to die up until the very end. To me, what a missed opportunity. Right, the opportunity to say goodbye to the ones you love. The opportunity to reflect and let go and to really be there both emotionally and spiritually for one's own death. For me, that's tragic. And for me, I think that's the, 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 the promise of a spiritual path like this is, is being able to die differently. And I want to point out that, that these are a, spark, a, part of, a, a central part of the spiritual path, and in particular, the reflection on death is a central part of mindfulness practice, which I think is really interesting. Like this is, this is a part, part and parcel of mindfulness practice. 
For example, there is a discourse called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness that is really the underlies this, this construct of mindfulness that is used like almost everywhere you turn. Have you noticed that? Almost every single magazine that you see, somebody's talking about mindfulness. But in the classical, this classical discourse that this notion of mindfulness comes in, one of the, the, the parts of the foundations, the first foundation of mindfulness, what's the practice? Reflecting on that you're going to die, to be mindful of that. And we always think of mindfulness only being about being in the present moment. It's actually about being in the present moment and knowing you're going to die. <laughs> so that's different. I don't know why they, they left that out of um, MBSR, but it's, 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 it's central. Maranasati is the, the Pali word for it. And, and here we are, if you notice, we live in a society in which there is such an emphasis on staying young and healthy. And when you're not young and you're not healthy, do you ever get the feeling that it's some kind of mistake? It's amazing, at least, how much I see this all around me. And even in some spiritual traditions, like this idea of getting sick, sometimes some spiritual traditions say you get sick because there's something spiritually wrong with you, which I think is really off. Whereas in Buddhism, what the Buddha says is, you know why you get sick? You get sick because you were born. <laughs> That's what comes with being born. <laughs> That's what happens. You get born, you live for a while, and then you get sick, or you grow old, or you die. It's just part of being born. It comes with the package. And, and yet we can, we can uh, almost want to overlook this, this whole world of impermanence and change in this way. Like we like the idea, but sometimes it doesn't run so deep. I remember the experience of this. I went to a, a 10 day, 10 day Goenka retreat. I don't know if anybody's done, done a, like a 10 day Goenka retreat. It's this particular kind of Vipassana retreat. So I get there. So remember, this is like a Buddhist context and I'm wearing a hat and I'm talking to some guy about the retreat and I take off my hat and he looks at me surprisingly. He says, Whoa, dude, you can do something about that. You know, there's things you can do about the receding hairline. <laughs> you don't have to put up with that, really. <laughs> there's all kinds of kind of fixes for the, the letting go and the loss that happens, even on the, the superficial level that we're attempting to, to correct in some way. And in the same discourse that the, the Buddha um, offers these five daily reflections, he goes into a little bit, bit of depth of them. And he says, one of the things that comes out of these reflections is to, um, to dispel the intoxication with these certain qualities. In term, uh, for example, he says, to dispel like the intoxication with youth. And I want to be really clear, there's nothing wrong with youth. What's wrong is when we're deluded by it, when we think it's going to last forever, when there's not clarity about it. Intoxication with health. Health is a really great thing. I like health. 
I want to do what I can to keep this vessel healthy. But there's something deluded to think that I'm always going to be healthy. It actually hasn't been the case up until now, and it's not going to be. How can I step away from that intoxication with that hope that's never going to happen of always being healthy? So yeah, let's cultivate health and have clarity. And the intoxication with life, that's an obvious one, hopefully. (laughs) The intoxication with what's dear and delightful. There are things that are dear and delightful to me, but they're also impermanent. Why should I hide my mind from that? To have clarity rather than some kind of blindness. And as I said, you know, when life doesn't go my way, sickness and old age, for example, it can feel like an assault. Have you ever noticed that? especially around sickness, like something's off. And I, I do want to acknowledge, like I'm, I'm sharing these reflections and I'm sharing what our minds do. And I, for me, I want to be clear, th- these are the, the most challenging arenas of being a human being, especially around health and how health deteriorates and how that can be such a, a big blow to my heart and mind. So I don't want to minimize this, but I also want to open up the space of what's possible when there's a reflection. So how do these daily reflections allow for a different way of being in the world for all of us here? One is is what I've just already mentioned is, I feel like when I reflect on these, they're teaching me that getting sick and growing old are not mistakes. And that's a relief, to tell you the truth. Oh, this is, this is the human situation. Rather than I'm quote unquote doing something wrong or something's wrong with me. What's it like to, to fully feel into that? To, yeah, take care of the body, but to open to the unfolding of, of our lives and to death in these different ways. I also find reflecting on them brings, you could say, more dimensionality to experience. A poem that exemplifies this is uh, by the poet Liselle Mueller called In Passing. She says, how swiftly the strained honey of afternoon light flows into darkness and the closed bud shrugs off its special mystery in order to break into blossom. As if what exists exists so that it can be lost and become precious. How swiftly the strained honey of afternoon light flows into darkness 
and the closed bud shrugs off its special mystery in order to break into blossom. As if what exists, exists so that it can be lost and become precious. Can you fully take in the preciousness of things? When I know they're going to be lost, they're going to fade away, they become precious. Have you noticed that when you're really impacted by something like these five daily reflections? And I want to be clear, not the preciousness that arises out of my clinging and craving, but rather the preciousness that arises when I fully take it in. Those are two very different stances. At least this is what I feel, what I've felt in my heart. Or in other words, it's not the preciousness of desperation, but rather, rather the preciousness that arises out of realization. Realization of these five daily reflections. And when I fully inhabit that realization of the impermanent nature of things like my life and my health, and the impermanent nature and all that's dear and delightful to me, I can show up in a different way. It makes a difference. I think many of you know this because I've shared this before in Dharma talks. When, when I got married, uh, when Robin and I got married, um, this was part of our <laughs> wedding <laughs> to, to have this thing. Thank you, Eric Kolbig, for this, of that, uh, this reminder, oh, this relationship that we're in, it's not eternal. <laughs> it's not life everlasting in this way. It's going to end either in estrangement or death. That's the nature of the relationship I'm getting into. Oh, that's its nature. Interesting. And after, right after we got married, we um, started to do these reflections on death. I know it sounds really romantic and sexy. <laughs> it was so helpful. It was, it was sobering and heart opening in such a beautiful way. This relationship is precious. Can I open up to it, not in a clinging way, but in a way that I'm really allowing it in? Be incredibly grounding. And maybe you noticed that, you know, when I was reflecting on this the last, uh, during the weekends, this is how this talk came up as I thought, oh, I need to get back into this, these daily reflections. And, uh, I needed to work on my quote unquote to do lists. When, when I know I'm going to die, I do not feel as oppressed by my to do list because it's like, well, I mean, it would be nice to get these things done, but really <laughs> in the grander grand scheme of things, it's like, oh yeah, good. But I don't have to cultivate anxiety around this. It's like it puts things in place. 
and still do those things, I hope. But, but there are things that are, are more important when I really take in, I'm going to die. Or that I'm the owner of my actions, heir to my actions. And we'll get to that, born of my actions. So the more dimensionality, preciousness in all these different ways. William Carlos Williams, the poet, points to another, I think, dimension that can come from really taking in these aspects of living, especially these first ones. For example, in a, in a poem, he says, the descent beckons as the ascent beckoned. I just want to pause there. It's true, isn't it? This is what happens. Yeah, there's a part of our life where the ascent beckons. Have you felt the descent beckon? It happens, right? This is the human predicament. And then he talks a little bit about the descent after that. He says, no defeat is made up entirely of defeat. Because, right, it feels like a defeat a lot of times, these, these parts of living. At least for me, it's tough. No defeat is made up entirely of defeat, since the world it opens is always a place formerly unsuspected, a world lost, a world unsuspected beckons to new places. And then a little later, he says, the descent made up of despairs and without accomplishment realizes a new awakening which is a reversal of despair. What would it be like to fully be here, not only for the ascent, but for the descent of your life? And this descent that can be difficult to really open up to, like I, I appreciate that he says, it often feels like it's made up of despairs. There's no accomplishing going on. I'm losing stuff. What would it be like to have the descent fully inform the way you live? Can you find the new awakening that can happen in such an opening? And then he ends for what we cannot accomplish is not an accomplishment. What is denied to love? Who loves descent, right? What we have lost in the anticipation, a descent follows, endless and indestructible. So interesting to bring those words to descent, like endless and indestructible. There's something maybe there. Is death a finality in your mind? Is that how your mind holds it? I think it's fine if it does. But since we don't know, are there other ways to conceptualize death? Why pick just one? And I'm not saying to pick another simple one like we live forever. Is there some kind of living and dying? Maybe death plays an important role that keeps us alive in ways that are very important, like keeps us alive to preciousness, 
as Lizelle Mueller was talking about. But it's like, what's it like to live with dying? And I want to be clear in these reflections, it, it's not about trying to instill fear in our lives. And I, I want to point out, this is an essential point in these reflections. Like, the purpose is for clarity rather than fear. It's, it's to fully inhabit something rather than to be afraid. You know, to engage in this, we want to do this, which in the end brings a forward movement to our lives. And yes, I, I want to point out part of the process is coming to terms with the fears that can happen around our health and our death and ar around losing what is dear and delightful to us. And I think this is why the last reflection is so important because it's an interesting one if you remember it. You remember the, that whole long sentence there? I am the owner of my actions, heir to my actions. I'm born of my actions related to my actions and abide supported by my actions. Whatever action I do, whether skillful or unskillful, of that I become heir. In this very little time that you have in this life, how do you want to shape your life with the actions that you're engaging in? That's an important question. Oh, you're going to die. With this little life, how do you want to shape your life? We shape it by our thoughts and our deeds and our actions, our qualities of heart that we're cultivating. I think it's this is why it's so important, this daily reflection. Chokinima Rinpoche, uh, a Tibetan Lama, encourages his students to have a screensaver that says, you're going to die. It gets, it gets clear about what, what's important to you, doesn't it? Can you feel that? Oh, this is what's important to me. Not so much this. We'll explore this later, but you know, if you're going to die tomorrow, what's most important to you? It could happen. Many, many people will die tomorrow. Have you noticed how your, your mind can scan out there? Oh, I wonder who those people are. <laughs> Actually, it could be you. It happens. It happens every day. I hope you can get with this, the kind of freedom that can come with this. It's like, oh, yeah, it's, it kind of has a, a somber tone sometimes, but it can free something for us. And at the end of this discourse where the Buddha talks about these five data reflections, he, he says, it leads to um, the fetters in our life being abandoned. Wouldn't it be great to live a life that's unfettered? This might be a gateway there. That's what the Buddha is saying. Oh, if you want to live an unfettered life, if you don't want to be tied down, these are the reflections to do. And also it leads to the 
uh, our obsessions being destroyed. Who has time for obsessions when our life is short and we want to live, live it wholeheartedly? What I'd like to do, well, let me think. I'll set it up now and then we'll take a short break. I want to say a few words about setting up this particular meditation. And it has to do with, if I can find it, um, another discourse that the Buddha gives around uh, practicing mindfulness of death. It's a really interesting discourse, but it, it fits in with this meditation. And he's asking the, the monastic, monastic, monastics about, uh, so how do you uh, cultivate mindfulness of death? How do you practice this? You know, which is one of the five daily reflections. And one of the monks says, well, may I live just for a night and a day so that I can really practice? That's, that's what it is to be mindful of death is like, yeah, this is it. Just, I just have a day and a night left. And then another monk was like, oh, hey, hey uh, venerable one, I, I, I reflect, may I live just for a day? That's, that's what it's like. Every day, may I live just for a day? I'm only going to live for a day and then I'm going to practice. I have that sense. I only have a day, one day to live. And then another monastic says, well, I just have the sense of, I might just be living for the length of time it takes to eat a single meal. And you can kind of hear there's a little bit of competition, it sounds like, in the crowd, doesn't it? <laughs> And then a monastic says, oh, actually, the way I practice, I practice with a sense of, I might be living just for the time it takes to chew and swallow a single mouthful of food. And then lastly, a, a monastic says, well, the way I practice is the sense that um, uh, the, when I breathe out after breathing in, I'm just going to leave for when I breathe out, or I'm just going to uh, live just for this one in-breath. Right. So not even a whole breath. <laughs> and of course, the Buddha says, uh, commends the last two. Just the time it takes to swallow a morsel of food, or just for one out-breath, just for one in-breath. We're going to see if we can practice this, what it's like to be like, I might, I might only be living for an in-breath or this out-breath. What would it be like to, to take some time for this meditation? So let's take, um, let's take two minutes. Let's come back at 35 minutes past the hour. And if you'd like, you can think, I'm only going to live for these two minutes. <laughs> What's that like? And then we'll come back 35 minutes past the hour. Okay, I'll see you briefly here shortly. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.